0: Hello and welcome to the Power Passion Podcast. I've got the great privilege of interviewing producer Millian today. He's a voiceover artist, a podcast editor and a professional narrator. He obviously, uh, his voice is so amazing that it's not not a requirement that we see the video because when it comes to it, it's his his voice is very entertaining, very engaging and he does this for a living. How are you doing today?
1: Good? I'm oh, doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, the invite.
0: After five years of passion, passionate work within your given industry, take me back to the, I suppose, the, the humble beginnings and just give me, a, I suppose, just a, a quick synopsis of how you got involved into being a voiceover artist and a narrator in general.
1: I sort of stumbled into it, actually, because before this, I was a musician from the time I was young. I was trying to get into the music field and I realized what a very nasty and yucky industry that is and I didn't like it. Then I transitioned into radio and I was in uh, talk radio here in the U.S. in Philadelphia and then out here in Las Vegas where I'm currently located. And as technology was coming along, I started working into podcasts and internet radio and that was sort of where I stood. We set up actually a podcast production studio here in the city and it was just one of those things ahead of its time. Like I knew it was coming but just ahead of its time. And one day, one of my clients that we're, was working with me said, hey, did you hear about this, this site called Fiverr? And I'm like, ah, five bucks, that's not going to help me at all. And I kind of just put it off. And so I let it sit for a couple of years. And in that time, I uh, ended that, uh, that business that I had and going through a whole lot of financial trouble, wasn't working. It was just a whole big mess around that, that time in life. And I said, you know what? I got nothing to lose. Let me throw it out there. And I put something up on Fiverr, got my first gig, and they loved it. And this lady I never heard from again says, "You're going to do great things on this platform. You're going to make so much money here." And I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> and so she was right. It, the whole thing kind of blew up on me over the next that I uh, say it was about four or five years now. So it's blown up on the platform, and it's led into other things. So I have uh, you know voiceover clients from that. I have independent clients. I have just projects in general. People that I know that write books hire me for stuff. So it just Something I sort of fell backwards into, and uh, here I am.
0: There we go. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very interesting story. And obviously, when it comes to the transition and going from the music industry into different roles within, I suppose, the audio spaces, I, I largely kind of obviously agree with you when it comes to the amount of leeway when it comes to those industries in terms of what you are doing professionally. And it, it was uh, obviously a wise choice to get into podcasts when you did. Um, what's the main difference in the process of doing say a voiceover piece to an like an audiobook or any kind of commercials or across different mediums is there any i suppose different process that you go about doing your job with or is there a, a one method or is you just let it go you let it creatively do its own thing
1: When I do a voiceover I have sort of a default rhythm and cadence that I speak with unless I'm told otherwise So when, like, if you request a demo from me, I'll record it in my cadence and then people will say, well, can you do, like, more excited? Can you do more serious? Can you do more conversational? And so I can adjust it according to what the customer would like. When you do a podcast, um, like I do a personal podcast, which is just little, it's just mainly for me to vent And uh, let out some steam. But um, when I do that, it's just me talking at normal pace like I would talk any other time. So um, you do kind of tailor it a little to the media. But like I said, I sort of keep a default thing that works in most cases. And then when I'm requested or asked otherwise, that's how I transition into that.
0: Absolutely. And obviously, yeah, obviously the default cadence, I, I think, is absolutely amazing when it comes down to that. But is there any, I suppose, tips just on that quickly to avoid? The monotonous kind of monotone that everyone's familiar with when it comes to a lecturer or, or a teacher that they dislike growing up. Is there any tips to kind of I suppose controlling that cadence for anyone that wants to is interested in the future and joining uh,
1: your kind of space? I'm gonna tell you I, this. It's funny you bring this up because this I, I get a vent for a second. This is one of those things that drive me off sure. the wall. I have had customers. It's it's maybe ten to fifteen percent of all the customers that I work with or do demos for. They'll come back and they use the term robotic and it drives me up the freaking wall. And the reason that it drives me up the wall is because I work on cadence. You know, I I do voice training exercises. I do sing, you know, I do all that stuff. And I work so hard to try to get that together. They're like, oh, it sounds like you did text to speech software or it's robotic. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it drives me crazy. And I I decided one day I asked the customer, I said, listen, I said, some once in a while people bring this up. And I said, what are you hearing? What is this? Tell me what it is. He says, the recordings and the articulation are so perfect, it doesn't sound like it's a human. And what drove me up the wall is I'm doing too good of a job, apparently, for some of these people. And I'm like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, no. Well, I mean, that's, uh, well, that's, that's very humorous, I suppose, because when it comes down to it, a lot of people would love to have that completely consistent, I suppose, pattern to their to their speech. But yeah, no, I, now, <laughs> now that you put the, the image in my head, I do I do think that a little bit, but to be honest, I mean, I, I've had like an audio clip that you've done for me when it comes to my, my first published book, and that was very engaging. And just, the, just that sample piece was enough to get people interested in my book. So I have full credit to everything that you do. So, um, well,
1: What I was going to say was, is that the, the trick is, and here I'll let you in on sure. million secret number 15 when it comes to the audio voiceover. When I do the recordings, normally I try to cut out breathing noises, little gasp before you say a sentence or little breathings in between. And I cut those out. And what my customer told me was that the, taking out the breathing contributed to the fact that they thought it was software. So there's sometimes when it d- depends on who it is, I'll leave some of the breathing noises in the production part of it. And if they say, oh, it's robotic or text-to-speech, it's like, sorry, tech got news for you. Robots don't breathe. Not yet anyway. But robots and software don't breathe. So that's how you know it's a real human. And one of those things, it does indeed drive me up the wall. But it turns out it's more of a technical thing than it is a voice delivery thing.
0: Well, there you go. And that, that leads perfectly into my next question for you, uh, producer. When it comes to the biggest threat of technology to your industry, is there anything, because I, I know that there's a lot of you know, creation when it comes to music and artwork that computers and artificial intelligence are doing, is there anything, I suppose, that you could use to your
1: advantage or that will cause displacement in your eyes? What they're working on is those text-to-speech programs. Now, right now, you can tell, when you go like on YouTube and let's say you're looking up some, like I was looking up apple cider vinegar recently for something. And it's like, Oh, here's a cool looking video. I like the title. I clicked on it. And it's like that apple cider vinegar is used. You know, it's like bad voice, And I'm like oh, a you, You're killing me. I messaged the guy and said, your video sounds like crap. I said, let me record this for you. I was like, it, it's cheap. I promise. I'll do it cheap. It'll sound a hundred times better. And it won't sound stupid. Don't be that guy. You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I, it drives me up the wall when I hear that because it's so, you know, it's just so obvious. And so when they're working on text-to-speech, there's going to come a time where voice is going to flow much like a human. Now, that's going to serve a purpose for a lot of people that, let's say, do those kind of YouTube videos. They'll buy the software one time and they'll just keep using it because if they're using crap now, then clearly, you know, better crap is going to work for them. But what I don't think that text-to-speech or AI or anything on that line can really translate well to is human emotion. Because when you speak, you do deliver emotion in certain ways. You know, like you're talking about something sad. You know, this is what happened today. And you bring your voice down. Unless you're going to sit and program that completely into everything, which some people may do, yeah, there's just a human You you can tell when something is not human. You may like it. You may engage with it. You may use a kiosk at your local fast food restaurant, which is fine. But there's eventually going to come a point where you're like, you know what? I I need something human here. You know, we're relational beings. We got to connect on some level. And if someone is going to give you a story like their biography or their personal life story or something with their family, they're going to want that authenticity that software can provide. So will it get close? Probably. Will it ever replace? Probably not. But since you bring it up, I was trying to think, and it kind of dovetails back from that whole robotic thing that drives me nuts. I was actually trying to find a company that I could actually sample my voice to, to (laughs) my voice as a text to speech thing. When you send me a script, I just drop it in the software, have it read by a computer, but with my voice, that would save me a ton of work. So it's like, you can't beat and join them. So <laughs> exactly, it's that no luck so far, but first
0: yes. mover advantage. You no, know, it's interesting that you see,
1: there it is. Yes, that.
0: yeah, very interesting that you should say that because when it comes to anything involved in in technology and AI and in that space, when it comes to speech patterns and and you know converting converting text to speech, there is obviously that trade off between very uh, the thinking brain and the kind of the emotional brain. Obviously, human beings largely t- to the fact that we don't want to admit it do buy into our kind of emotional brain and work on emotions, which is m- which is why the authenticity plays a part, obviously. And I-, I got that recently from Mark Manson's new book, which is fantastic. But anyway, moving along. So do you use different impersonations for fictional character roles?
1: I have. Um, it Again, it all depends on the customer. Sometimes uh, with fiction books. I don't generally like doing fiction because it, it's hard to keep all the characters straight, all the different voices I've done for everybody. So um, if it if it comes along where someone will, let's say, have a script for a video and they're like, this is your only character. Can you do it? And I'm like, okay, I can work with this. Um, so I can do it. I just, I don't generally like it because it's just way too much. It, it's too much keeping everything in order trying to remember who, because what will happen is you start reading a line and you're thinking it's character a and you're reading in that voice and then when you get to the end of the sentence it'll say so and so said and it's like oh crap it was a different character now i gotta go back and record the whole line again so yeah but i've had people interestingly enough they'll send me a script and they'll be like can you do this with like an indian accent or a russian accent or an australian accent i'm like yes i can So, (laughs) so for nonfiction, i've actually had some of that so yeah
0: is there? Obviously my podcast has started out in Australia. What's your? Do you care to share your
1: Australian accent? Um, sign up today for your 30-day money-back guarantee. Right here. Yes. There we go. <laughs> very
0: very on point and I appreciate I it all. there was nothing about koala bears Vegemite or putting <laughs> shrimps on a barbie there anyway
1: I, I, stay, yeah, I did stay away from that but a quick story on that is um, I have a son who's eight years old now but for a period of about two three years it was nothing but the wiggles <laughs> the enough. period with Greg and Sam and that whole uh, we were all part of that so Sam was my favorite wiggle just throwing that out there but yeah you know, a lot a lot of that yeah yeah there we go I've always, always been a big fan of australian australian accents that's one of my favorites to do
0: it is funny when it comes down to that whole stereotype thing i won't get into it too much but i'll just quickly comment on the fact i try and remove the stereotype as much as possible because when it comes down to it you meet people from the u.s it's completely different to the media and its exposure and how that's kind of transmitted globally and the same thing for australia Anyway, what's your biggest known project and what final products are you most kind of proud of getting out into the public domain?
1: Oh, boy. Um, you know, I have done so many small projects um, that I, I generally don't focus on big ones. And, but I have done a couple um, here in the U.S. and Canada. Um, NHL ice hockey is a you know, pretty big sport. And before I was officially on Fiverr, one of the voice works I did was for the um, NHL Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. There is someone that was doing one of their exhibits that was there for about a seven year run and they needed some voiceover work for that. And at the time I was doing a podcast about hockey back in like 2007, eight, around that period. And they reached out to me and they sent me the script. And that was one of my first major voiceover things even back then before I officially got into it. Um, there is a political commentator named Ben Shapiro. Uh, he sent me one of his fiction books, which I've done. And to be very honest offhand, I can't remember the title of it. And, uh, um, uh what's the I did fiction one. books i'm trying to think of ben shapiro's books i've read a few it was yeah. one where a nuke went off over washington it was one of those kind of things
0: and uh yeah I, I can't offhand i can't remember but he's the written a life of me i can't remember
1: it so yeah. um but i did that one uh there was a, a financial book called good debt bad debt by john hansen he was one of the first projects i did now the funny part about that is when he first hired me for his book Um, I still had my original equipment you know how you kind of piecemeal everything together when you're first starting out use just whatever's there you know like a raccoon you're just putting stuff together and so I had whatever microphone I had whatever computer and I recorded it and he was very happy he loved the delivery the cadence he loved all of it but the quality was so bad and the audio and I just wasn't as good as I would be now and I, I've stayed friends with him over the years. And I said, John, you got us I got better gear. You got to let me re-record this book for you. And so it just kind of lingered. And about a week or two ago, he texts me out of nowhere and says, Hey, is that offer still on the table to record the the book for me? And I'm like, John, I would love to do the book for you. I said, I got brand new gear. I got an $800 microphone right here. I said, like, I, I, I want to do this book for you. I will do this book for you. So that's kind of a, uh, one of those ones you know when you, you get a shot at something big and you kind of mess it up and you're like man I need a do-over. I yeah. need to do over yeah yeah
0: so I'll offer. admit openly I with our first uh, high profile guest on the podcast we actually screwed up the recording the first time over and we told our guest. obviously we apologize and we got back to him and we we were fortunate enough to redo it but it was quite tragic because we'd finished recording the podcast my co-host looks at me as if to say we've done it and then we realized that we didn't record correctly. So I, now I back up everything and make sure it's oh, truly recording. Terrible. Yep, yep. No, totally. Uh, when it Just just on that, I was just wondering, when it comes to a high profile figure, like say the, the likes of Ben Shapiro, is there a particular, like, do you change your tone of voice? Because when it comes to narrating one of his books, he's got a very lively, animated and, and sensationalist way of talking. Is Was there any kind of, I suppose, did you buy into that? Did you change anything that you were saying the way you were saying it or when recording that fiction book?
1: Well, that fiction book, that was one where I actually did a demo for his – it wasn't him. It was his people through him that were were, uh, reaching out to me. So I did a demo for them, and they liked it, and they approved it and all that. And that was one of those books where I had to do different character voices because it was a story about – Um, a a guy that was involved in the Middle East with their whole thing here. And then eventually they set off a a nuke over an airplane over New York or Washington. It's like a whole, you know, whole big story based on modern events. So it wasn't too far off of what you may hear, you know, in in the U S news. So I had to do a lot of voices for that. And then, you know, as you read the reviews tip for voice ever artists, don't ever read your reviews. Um, Some people absolutely love you. Some people will hate you. Some people don't care. And so, some people love the voices, some people hated the voices, and voiceover is like music it 's so subjective to with, with what people like. you know You could be a certain genre of music and be the best at it. Someone that hates that genre is going to tear you apart no matter what so as long as the customer 's happy that's that 's the main thing you need to worry about but um, as far as changing, I, I really do keep to what the customer wants and what they ask me for, and as best I can do it. And, uh, you know, when they're paying that kind of money, I will talk however you want. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, of course. So,
0: considering some books uh, have been banned from various platforms, is there any book that you won't narrate?
1: Um, I generally try to stay away from things that are super, like, uh, polarizing with people. If it's, like, a big issue going on right now, I really don't want to take sides and get into that. Um, I try to stay away from like spiritualist kind of books and real heavy religious topics and things like that. I, I like to generally stay to nonfiction, uh, anything that's like hate crimes or political tr- I try to just stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, I just, it's just bad juju around certain things that I just get an instinct and a sense for, and it's not to say that I'm a hundred percent against anything or other. It's just a lot of times someone will send me a book and I'll kind of look through it and I just sort of get an instinct, like a discernment about it. And I'm like, nah, I'm not part of this one. And there's other books you wouldn't think. I'm like, ah, I get a good feel. It's okay. So part of it is just a natural instinct. And some of it is just, if if it's too hot of a topic, I I just don't want to get into it to be honest. Yes. Yes.
0: There's, there's obviously, from what the media exposes to us in Australia, there are, uh, you know, people in the U S and specific campuses that are very liberal leaning and, you know, they'll say something's problematic or whatever and, you know, people's always offended. So it's very, very pragmatic and wise of you to take that approach. Anyway, besides uh, your quality services created already on Fiverr, which are available, everyone check that out, by the way. Um, have
1: you created a book yourself or any kind of creative piece that you're proud of? Um, I have my website, which is million.com. And on million.com, I wanted to sort of be a, just the place for me to mess around. I have a series of like vlog videos that are there. Um, I was trying the whole YouTube blogger thing, but over the last few years, YouTube has totally gone haywire with how they've done everything. So you never know what what you're getting with YouTube. Um, So I have a podcast, I have some samples there, I have videos there. And uh, whenever, like I was saying earlier with the podcast, I just kind of mess around. Whenever something crosses my mind, I feel like just kind of venting about it. I'll throw up an episode or if something interesting is going on i 'll make a video and throw it up on the podcast and that 's sort of just my personal creative outlet, plus if people want to reach me for work that 's you know there, but it also gives you a sense of my personality and what i 'm like i 'm sort of a very fun you know kind of guy I like to mess around and you know be stupid and all that kind of stuff and I hope that when people visit my site, they watch the videos and they sort of make that connection that they 're more comfortable to work with me so there 's a reason I do that as well it 's yeah, I, I, I complain a lot, but I'm really a fun guy. <laughs> no, totally. I, I feel as though any creative
0: artist or you, a musician, writer, author, you know, voiceover artist, anyone that's pursuing any kind of passion, it is, I find it very expressive and cathartic thing. So it is important to convey that personality and it goes towards obviously self-branding and that will uh, work tenfold in, in your advantage when it comes to business in the future anyway so this is this is interesting considering your, your previous comment um, so but I'll ask I'll ask it open-endedly and we'll see if we how we go with this one so free speech is very topical right now although I, I'll admit it's a loaded question what's your perspective on this issue
1: free speech is interesting because you' pretty much as a human can really say whatever you want it does not matter you can literally say anything you want Free speech, especially here like in the U.S., because that's always a debate of what you can what you can say, I, I guess what people don't get a hold of, and this is just my thought on it, it doesn't guarantee you a right to be heard or to be taken seriously. So if I hear someone that comes like up to me on the street and they start ranting about something, it's like, I don't have to stand there and listen to it. And so you could say whatever you want, don't expect me to be there there's plenty of YouTube videos I'll start watching and someone will start saying stuff I don't like. And there's that little X up in the corner, which is fascinating because you click that, they go (laughs) bye-bye. And so it's more I'm more of it on the other end, not so much about what you're saying as much as how it's being received. And you see in the media, and probably there in Australia too, if someone says something totally off the wall, no matter what it is, if people cover it on the news or start talking about it or amplifying it, it starts getting out of hand. A lot of times, if you pay no mind to it, it dies right off so there 's a whole bigger element to what are you amplifying? what are you paying attention to? What are you giving a spotlight on because there's a time for that, and there 's a time not for that. so the way I, I feel about you can say whatever you want don 't expect me to go along with it don 't expect me to listen and don 't expect me to participate you you know i 'm not participating in your delusion, so you do whatever you want to do, and that 's just sort of how I feel about it it's just it, it's a it 's an odd topic and I'm sort of of that here. Here in the U.S., it's more of like a libertarian kind of feel. Where as long as you're not hurting anybody, I really don't care what you say. Just leave me out of it. <laughs> I'm very like introverted, kind of off to the side. Just I'm sort of like the Australia of Americans. I'm yeah, off to the that, side. That's very
0: interesting because <laughs> myself, myself and my co-host admit openly on the podcast frequently about the fact that we share libertarian philosophy and values. Whether that's completely 100. percent Practical and pragmatic in actuality in the real world is another thing entirely. But when it comes to, I think the the important thing for our our viewers and listeners at home to take away from that comment there is you have the freedom of association with the content that you're viewing. Like you can, you can exit out. I think that's the biggest takeaway. If you don't vibe with something, sure, but you're not obliged to sit there and just listen. You can walk away. Uh, So, so I think that's a very uh, important point to bring home to people that are listening. So how much self-learning do you commit towards doing? Because obviously when it comes to being a voiceover artist and producing any form of narration, I'm, I'm presuming, and that's a dangerous thing to do obviously, but that you read a lot that you constantly work your, on your dictum and the way that you, which you use
1: words and language. All right. Here's where I, I, I get a kick out of this because I watch tons of YouTube videos. I, I like I, I was a big like vlog fan over this last couple of years. And you know, you start watching one thing on YouTube and then, you know, ten degrees later you're watching something totally different. It's like, how'd I get here? I tend once in a while to watch the people that talk about entrepreneurship, tons of them. That's a big space right now. Entrepreneurship and how to grow your business and how to be successful. And a lot of them, it's like, it's total fluff. And I'll watch some of these videos, and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I read at least 17 books a week, and uh, you have to keep reading. If you, I was like, Bro, I read for my job every day, <laughs> I read hundreds of books in a given year. So, I got news for you as soon as I'm done, I am not reading books, I've had enough reading for the day, <laughs> seven, seven, eight hours of it. You know what? No, <laughs> so. It's funny because a lot of the conventional wisdom of things that people have, um, you know, it, they, they present it as though it has to apply to everybody equally. And it's definitely not the case. You have to do what works for you. And for someone like me is that I, I, I learn a lot of stuff from the books that I do because I do mostly nonfiction. So I learn a lot of topics and it's it's, it's excellent in that regard. But whenever I need to know how to do something, I like to go to, for instance, YouTube, because videos are very easy to just leave on in the background if you need to be on a topic. Um, I like Udemy.com a lot, too, if it's something very specific that I need steps on and like a pattern to follow. So I like online courses should I need them. Um, But as far as just continuing education, for what I do, there's really not much beyond this. you know, I know how to talk. Um, I know how to read. Um, I upgrade gear every once in a while. Um, the software pretty much stays the same. The platforms pretty much stay the same. So it's at this point, I don't want to say a critical mass, but once you get to that point, it's just fine tunings, really. There's, there's not much more beyond this. It's not like a voiceover has been voiceover for years. All that has changed is software and gear. That's really it. No, absolutely.
0: When it comes down, I, I like the point you bring up with entrepreneurs saying that they read X amount of books. People need to realize at home the reason they're saying is that they've gotten to that stage in their life, whether they're, uh, whether it's all marketing hype and fluff is, is subject to perspective and interpretation. But the fact that Warren Buffett can sit, sit in his office and read for five hours a day is probably because he's established Berkshire Hathaway and that corporate entity that can run pretty much without his direction besides on big decisions so
1: yeah yeah I mean come on now oh, I, I love is that uh, well you know Elon Musk said please Elon Musk is like almost as rich as God he could he could buy people he could get the author to come there and give him the digest of it in like 30 minutes you know what I mean exactly so these guys are like oh well they he read so-and-so's book he was just having dinner with so-and-so they talk, talked about the whole book over like you know steak the other night so no and it's just a lot of that conventional. You see it on all the channels. They're like, oh, I get up 4.30 every day. I read four books, meditate 50 minutes. I'm like, J- shut up. No, no. <laughs> we, we have an infant in the house. I'm, I'm getting to bed at 4.30, bro. No, like, oh, totally. Totally. Killing me here. So <laughs> the, the conventional wisdom is not always that much of wisdom. So you again, got to do what works for you. That, that's the big thing.
0: Very true, very true. Is there a five to 10 year destination for your own pathway or are you more focusing on the process and the love of the process and then keeping your eyes out for opportunities as they present themselves?
1: The five year plan is something that comes up a lot and it, it, same, same channels that you'd watch on YouTube that we're just talking about, they'll bring up the five year plan and here's the deal. There is no possible way to know what five years is going to bring for you, simple as that. Um, This whole life is a crapshoot. I'm in Vegas. That's the reference we use here. Um, So life is a crapshoot, and there is no definitive way to know where you're going to be next month, next year, or five. There's no way to even put that. And they say, oh, well, you know, you could tell the future by creating it. And I'm like, stop stop with the motivational quotes. What you got to do is there's a general overall idea. Speaking of Warren Buffett, I have a, a plaque that hangs on my wall right here. A quote from Warren Buffett, it says, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. So what I do with that is that sort of motivates me that I'm always looking for residual income things to bring in while I'm doing my regular work. Because if I don't, by the time, you know, let's say this thing runs its course and I'm done, then I got nothing. But if I spend some time building something of a residual nature when this is over, if it is over. I do have that thing going in the background. So if anything that I would say to you there they're like I would love a point in the future where I just live 100% off residual income and then just do voiceover when I feel like it as opposed to you know just taking in a bunch of orders as I do now. Um, so five year plan for 10 10 no not at all. I just kind of just kind of wing it. I keep the short term future ready to go and just sh- simple long long term visions like just residual income so I don't have to work regularly. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So it's, it's just a series of patterns and you just kind of connect the dots as you go.
0: Brilliant. So it's more of a goal-orientated approach and no real rigid structure because of obviously, you know, no one's got a crystal ball and no one know, knows exactly what's going to happen next and what the direction in which the, the wind will take us is subject to interpretation debate. And, you know, no one's ever going to really know unless anyone's got a time machine that they want to share with us. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So, so when it comes down to, I think the other two, the other point too, I want to make on that comment is the fact that for the listeners at home that are, ever want to start anything creative, just get it out there, create it. Because at the end of the day, if you do, like you said, have a residual income potential and you've got that sitting there, it is very comforting, especially when you are not financially lucrative at any stage of life uh, to have something that you can comfortably say hey I can sell this or I can do this or I can go back on this skill set so when it comes to uh, earning money in their passion I'm pretty sure you might have touched this but I'll just re-clarify just in case what is the the honest advice you can tell them about earning money off their passion obviously we just touched on the fact that passions and Whatever you, uh, uh, you love doing will start out in a residual nature, and hopefully everyone wants it to be exponential in the future, but I mean, it's the luck of the draw thing.
1: What I often refer to is a saying that relates to the, what was called the gold rush here in the United States in the 1800s in California, and there was a saying that when there's a gold rush, be the guy that sells the shovels. Because what's going to happen is, is that everybody is going to be moving into a certain space trying to get to the gold. But what you have to remember is when people are doing this gold rush and going out there and mining and digging and stuff, they need supplies, they need food, they need shelter, they need stuff. And if you can supply people that are doing what kind of the space you want to get into, it gives you a better opportunity. Now, for example, what I mean is that a few years ago, I was checking out vlogging on YouTube, which seemed fascinating. And it was before what they called the adpocalypse, when that whole big thing blew up over there with ads on YouTube. And you can go research that if your uh, listeners are not familiar with that. But um, what I realized is that there's a lot of those videos, you know, the top 10 things you need to know, those kind of videos. And I get hired for a ton of YouTube videos. Because what I realized is that these guys are paying me money off of their royalties, which is what you're Do a lot of YouTube for. They're hiring me regularly, consistently. I have a guy that buys like three, four scripts from me every single day. And he he paid for the entire month ahead of time and he just churns this stuff out. And the thing is, is that I don't have to write content. I don't have to film the video. I don't have to do the video editing, which I'm sure you know takes forever in a day to get done. But here's the thing by selling him what he needs and taking some of that burden off him, I get to be a YouTube blogger because it's my voice attached to the project. So now, instead of just one channel that I have to make enough noise in the space to get noticed, now I'm spreading my message out across an entire spectrum of many different channels. So I've actually had people recognize me, like they'll they'll watch one of these videos and they'll message me on Facebook or something and say, million, is this you? I could have swear. I'm like, yes, it is. So in those things, I do a lot of those like list videos, like top 10, this or product reviews or, um. There's one one of the best ones that I think the guy did was a walking tour of Jerusalem in Israel, which was fabulous how he did it. It was a beautiful video. And so I get to be a YouTube vlogger, but sort of going a different direction with it. You know, I'm selling the guys the shovels. They're doing all the work, (laughs) but I'm still getting the benefit from it. So if you want to get into a space, now it's not to say you can't get into the space, but the fact of the matter is, is that when a space is crowded and congested, you sort of have to find a a different approach to it. And that's just part of evolution of any business. You know, it's like we're podcasting, but there was a time where it was only AM radio and then FM came along and then it was Sirius radio and the satellite radios and and now look at where we are now. So you have to keep constantly evolving in the meantime. So can you get into the space? Yeah. If you're willing to do the work and stuff, yeah. Am I willing to do the work with YouTube? No, but I'll be happy to sell them the shovels and give them what they need along the way and I get to be part of the magic.
0: Fair enough. That's, that's some terrific insight right there.
1: So when it
0: comes to narrating and storytelling, obviously there's a very primal element to this when it comes to humanity and its beginnings. People have told stories you know, since the dawn of time. So how do you feel storytelling will or will not change in the next coming years? What, how do you foresee the evolution of storytelling?
1: It's going to get much more condensed and much faster because everybody has a very short attention span these days. We are very much an instant gratification culture. We have our cell phones where if we want to know something, you know, when I was a kid and I had to know, like, wanted to know something, I had to go find an encyclopedia and go to a library. Now my kid wants to know something. He breaks out Google and he has the answer in 30 seconds. So it's that quick thing that's going on now. When I read modern books, people get to the point much quicker. I've had someone in the past hire me for like more classic books, like Mark Twain and uh, the, the classics, if you will. And some of those books take forever to get a storyline going. They take forever to start developing. And you're like six chapters into it. Like, can we get to the point here? I'm like, I'm the guy, they're paying me to do this. And I'm bored out of my mind. And then some of these new stories by like halfway through chapter one, you're already halfway through the story. So Um, I think it's going to be a continuation of main ideas, but I think the main ideas are going to have less filler in between them and the stories are just going to be faster moving, more condensed and get to the point sooner.
0: I tend to agree there because a lot of books recently that I particularly like and I I like the direct form of communication. So anytime a a writer will, I suppose, break that kind of uh, threshold where it's very, uh, sensationalist or i suppose maybe not controversial but at the same time captivates your attention from the get-go i think the author of, of fight club uh, chuck falinac his the start of one of his books he literally tells you to stop reading it within the first paragraph hmm. like tells you to, to go away before it's too late which i, I love about of, of that author is there a fav- is there a favorite cultural icon book or creative artist that you mainly get
1: inspiration from as far as voiceover, like in that kind of work, or just in general, or what are we talking about? Just in general,
0: completely broad. It could be anyone. It doesn't have to be someone creative, I suppose.
1: Okay. Um, I am a huge fan of Pixar. And I'm a, a Pixar movies, you know, like Monsters, Inc. and Incredibles and so on and so forth. Um, when. This was developing for me into the career that I do now. It was around the time, as I mentioned earlier, where my son was pretty young. He's eight now, but he was like three, four years old at the time. And we would always watch a lot of the kids' programs. Again, Wiggles, as I mentioned before. I know all the songs. Um, But Wiggles, but there was also a lot of Disney, Disney Junior, and a cartoon show that I absolutely fell in love with is Phineas and Ferb. And I fell in love with it because it was a very creative concept that they had. Their humor was amazing. And every uh, episode that they had had unique original songs that the guys would write. My favorite character on Phineas and Ferb is Dr. Doofenshmirtz. And he was voiced by one of the creators of that show, Dan Povenmire. So I, I always took... A bit of inspiration in all things Phineas and Ferb like when we went to Disneyland which is only like three four hour drive from here I would love going to California Adventure because that's where all the Pixar stuff is that's where all the Phineas and Ferb stuff were. and you know my son and I sort of uh, came up together with that so in my on my desk here in front of me I have little figurines of Monsters Inc I have Sully and Mike Wazowski I have Phineas I have uh, Dr. Doofenshmirtz I got a Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Mrs. And I got all kind of like Monsters, Inc. stuff uh, floating around, too. Another quote that I have from Mike Wazowski, which is is wonderful. And uh, so, but Phineas and Ferb specifically was um, was a huge thing for me because I love the creative aspect of it. I love the fact they created their own things. They shot that show for about 10 years They because they didn't get the terms they wanted. They just didn't come together, but they stayed with it. And uh, they've won awards for doing those voices, which I think were fascinating. So the fact, I'm very much a guy about just doing all my own stuff and just handling my own things. I, I I don't, I'm not opposed to working with people, but it's just hard sometimes when you have a vision and you want to get it done to get everybody on board with you and try to sell it to everybody. It's like, I'd just rather do it myself. So So that, not that they do that, but that's sort of the inspiration I took from it. And that sort of propelled me to keep going with it. So. Phineas and Ferbs, uh, Swampy Marsh and Dan Povenmeyer and that whole group. That was sort of the thing that kind of kicked me off into this as well as Pixar. Brilliant. And obviously for our listeners and, and
0: viewers, it's it's important to recognize there that touching upon the point that the, the world's best plan will not work unless you do. And the vision that you have needs to be exe- executed by you first and foremost, because if you don't do it, you don't put the hours in, then, I mean, there's no guarantee that you'll uh, – Initially, get the like-minded people around you in order to succeed. So I love the fact that you are very much a go-getter and you're executing, which is great. So when it comes to collaborations between you and your your clients, how much perfectionism, I suppose, are you willing to handle? Like, i to myself, I'm thinking to myself, maybe a client comes to you and knocks you back ten times for the smallest things. I don't know.
1: Oh, well, good. Good thing you brought that up Um, here. I'll tell you a couple of my sort of peeves that drive me nuts. Number one, and and you'll notice this in any business, but in any creative business, the people that pay the least complain the most. And the people that pay the most seem to flow better and are just cool with everything. I'm not 100 percent sure why that is, but I noticed that number one. I had a client recently. He was very nice. He wasn't wasn't rude or anything about it, but he was so picky about certain things. Like, he, it was a story about a cat. And every time I said the word cat, he wanted to hear the t at the end. He's like, I, I was listening through it. You mentioned the word cat, but I don't hear cat t. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I was like, okay. I I went through and I had to individually find the word cat, raise the volume up a little bit and, and do all that stuff. And then another part is like, well, the volume is changing here. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. I had other voiceover friends listen to it. And they're like, dude, I don't hear anything. <laughs> and I didn't know what this guy wanted. And I kept telling him, I said, bro, I don't know what you want. So it's one of those things where if someone is cool about it, and it's a legit issue, okay, like, for instance, if, you know, maybe I cut out something or a word gets cut off or something like that, I have no problem fixing it. If it's my error, no problem. Um, if someone says, you know, I wasn't expecting this. Is it a big deal? Usually I'm pretty good about it. I try to keep my people happy as much as I can. Um, what does drive me nuts is is that I, I, I get a lot of people that are from other countries where English is a second language, and what they'll hire me for is English scripts, and like English learning or IELTS, things like that. And I'll record it for them and they'll send it back and they're like, well, this word isn't pronounced correctly. I'm like, bro, I'm the native English speaker. I know how the words are pronounced. And it's, you know, however they want it said. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they'll send me this recording from their phone where they're pronouncing it. And I'm like, OK, this is your second language. I don't mean that rude, but this is your second language. It's like, trust me, I know this. So when I get corrected by a non-English speaker of how to pronounce words in English, that always throws me for a loop. Um, then the, the robotic thing I mentioned earlier, that kind of drives me nuts. Um, generally, <laughs> generally speaking, um, if someone drops the robotic thing on me and they're kind of jerky about it, I usually just cancel their order and send them on their way. Because Especially if it's a small like $5 order because I can't be spending hours and hours recording a $5 script and it's not to be rude, it's just I have lots of customers that you know need attention as well and this, it's just too much sometimes. So I I have to gauge like is it an ongoing relationship? Is the person you know being cool about it? Are they being difficult about it? Do they kind of want? Is it too much time to, you know, compare to the money that they're paying? It's and I don't mean to sound like that, but it's the truth. It's business. You have to sort of gauge out the importance and value of your time. So for the most part, I try to keep my customers happy. If it gets excessive, I'll just. You know, I have no problem firing a customer. So, <laughs> on you. no, totally.
0: Just just on that with the whole, you know, non-native speaking English people receiving your voiceover work. I suppose the only thing I'll say on that to a sympathy towards their case would be what type of English they're exposed to, whether it's UK English or American English. But that's right, all exactly. semantics, I guess.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So it's at at sometimes it's just where the stress falls on the word or, you know, that's how they just learned it. So, I mean, I get it, but it's like,
0: you
1: know, it's only that ahead of time.
0: <laughs> I don't know. No, totally. Totally. I completely agree. So does your exposure to to Hollywood particularly and that scene and culture influence your work on any level? Obviously you were mentioning uh, some cultural icons and people that you, you like, but can you see any direct link to your profession and the way you conduct yourself or is there a complete distinct removal between yourself and and that uh i suppose echo chamber
1: i loathe hollywood with a passion that whole culture that whole industry the whole movie thing do not like it one bit and so it's one of those things where i i trade all my customers equally so if a big, huge author came to me with a book or some guy that just wrote his first book and is scared to death with what to do, I treat him exactly the same. I quote him the exact same price. You know, everybody, as far as I'm concerned, is going to be on the same par. Um, I don't like the culture of Hollywood and the content they put out. It's just not to mention that as of right now, they're out of ideas. They keep rehashing the same movies. I agree. I mean, how many superhero movies do we need to see, really? How many Star Wars movies? They've ruined Star Wars. I mean, come on now. Yeah. And it's just, you're out of ideas. They're recycling old TV shows and reprising them and bringing them back. And it's like, you're killing me here. And, you know, if you follow news and politics, you see what some of these people are doing. And it's like, I can't be part of that. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm not going to do it. In fact, I prefer to work with more of your everyday person who's removed from that. You know, the guy that wrote his first book and he's proud as a little peacock strutting around and he's like, I need this. I'm, I'm, I I'm, love helping those people because I want to be their first real experience with this so that they're, you know, treated well because they can go to some big publisher or big studio and they will get railroaded by them. They will get taken advantage of, pay 10 times more than they should. And I just like, I'm, I'm a one-on-one kind of guy. So I like to work with that person and see what they want what they need me to do for them and try to deliver as close to what they have in their mind as possible so uh hollywood no everyday people that's that's more my the lane that i drive in right there
0: i tend to agree And anyone that watches an award show that has a hollywood element to it is probably sick of the propaganda machine and wants a little bit more a diverse range of, of opinion because when it comes to art most people don't want to know that they are being overtly subject to political agendas and the way in which things are structured in terms of, you know, how culture
1: is designed and God, that's a, a whole rabbit hole that I won't even get into. Um, can we get in the rabbit hole for just a second? Because I got something great for this. Sure, of course you can. All right, a little, little rabbit hole, just a small one, small rabbit. Um, I went to university for psychology, oddly enough. So I have a degree in psychology. What I find funny is with Hollywood and being a, you know, I'm a media guy. I'm just not the mainstream media guy. But, you know, I understand media. I understand music and art and spoken word and uh, what's called programming. Now, there's a reason television shows are called programs, okay, because they're <laughs> trying to program a certain thing into you. Mm. Now, here in the U.S., we have those late-night talk shows. And what's interesting is a lot of them have a certain political view. Whether you agree or not, beside the point. It's just they, they hold a, a common view what they'll do and this is people and i point this out to people they're like no, nah, and then they watch it and they're like holy crap that was right what they do is they use humor as a suggestion tool so what'll happen hollywood does this and movies do this tv show all these shows do this if you watch they'll start out with something funny or a joke or something to get the audience laughing while a person is laughing and while they're processing that in their head the absolute next line or two out of their mouth is something of a propaganda nature, something, a point they're trying to drive home. And the reason is because when you're laughing, when you're emotional, when you're crying, you're in a suggestive state. And when you're in that suggestive state, I can start feeding that stuff into you when you're not realizing it. And then by the time you're starting to pick up on it, now I'm on to the next joke. So if you watch the pattern, it's joke, joke, propaganda, joke, joke, propaganda. It's that constantly ongoing cycle. By the time you start picking up on it, Then, you know, you're ready on to the next thing. And it's just a constant feeding, again, why they call it a program. You're being programmed. Now, what does that have to do with voiceover? The fact is, is that if you know how to, with the psychology stuff, I know how to deliver certain lines based on emotion. I know how to deliver lines based with humor and how to drive the next line home if I need it. But if you watch late night talk shows, you're going to start seeing that now. Or if you watch anything that has like comedy or emotion or anything like that. Anytime they want to make a point to you, it always is preceded by laughter, emotion, something that gets you angry and pissed off, something like that. And then it follows that same just repetitive pattern. So little tip there, if you're going to be a voiceover person, a little psychology helps a lot too.
0: Very true. And for anyone that's watching or listening, it's important to recognize the fact that they are programs. And I would go as far as to say that any information that you, I suppose, consume online will be a byproduct of how the software's designed how the search results are, are patterned based on your search history there's so much stuff that goes on when it comes to people giving you information that either provokes a reaction on social media in order to keep you engaged twitter's probably a perfect example of that but, but yeah we need to be all obviously very cognizant of how we're interpreting information and at the end of the day no matter how much a person, especially on a late night talk show says that they're unbiased, we're human beings and we, we take a certain view on things. So I don't Everyone's really, biased. yeah, exactly. Everyone's biased. That's, that's the point I want to ring yeah. home there. So what's, what would you say is, cause obviously this has taken off in terms of audiobooks, podcasts, there's more of like you touched on just then an emotive captive, captivation of the human experience and, and the way in which they're perceiving the language in comparison to typical reading. Cause obviously you read a lot of books. Um, that's pretty much like you read so many books uh, in your mind. Does the, the final product when you're listening to yourself on playback, do you feel like it, it adds to the, the original script or are you always aware of the fact that the author wanted to convey a certain thing is there kind of like a, I suppose, communication line there that you have to clarify?
1: I don't think so. It's anybody that I work with, I'm going to automatically give them demos and samples to to see kind of where they, they fall on it. So when I listen back later on, you know, to me, I hear my voice all the time. So I know what I sound like. It's not that big of a deal. A lot of people hate their own voice. I've gotten past that because I've been doing it so long. It's just like, whatever at this point. And there's times where I'll record something and I'll listen back and I'm like, man, this sounds like crap. And I'll send it to the guy and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to throw it out there. What the heck? And he comes back and goes, Oh, this is so amazing. This sounds so good. And I'm like, really? <laughs> well, Hey, you are the customer. If you are happy, that's all I need to know. And so, yeah, it's, it's really comes back to if my people are happy, then I'm happy. Um, I've recorded things. It's like anything else. I've recorded things where I thought I was on fire And then someone gets back to me and they're like, yeah, it sounds robotic. Can you change it? And I'm like, come on, (laughs) Or, you know, sometimes I, you know, just woke up and, you know, I nap a lot because my life's a little chaotic right now. So I'll wake up out of a nap. My voice will sound terrible. I'll get clear my throat and all that. And I'm trying to talk and I'm like, this guy is so going to reject this. And then I deliver it and he's like, sounds amazing. Five star. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Okay. So it all comes down to, you know, really the customer. If, if, that's what they want if that's what they're happy with i'll you know i'll do whatever you want that's it
0: brilliant just a last two questions and we'll conclude the conversation when it comes to because i was looking at some stats on amazon and the figures of sales fiction versus non-fiction fiction vastly i think is around based on stats that i was looking at from 2003 sorry it's 2013 2014 so granted a little bit dated but the the image presented the, the disparity between fiction selling 60% and nonfiction 30%. You said predominantly that you're doing uh, nonfiction. Is there, I suppose, do you want to pursue more fictitious work? And furthermore on that, is does that kind of tie into the fact that people love uh, a sensationalized, fictitious kind of story because it, it appeals to I suppose, a more engaging, entertaining experience. But at the end of the day, it's, it's funny. Sometimes the truth is just as interesting. But yeah.
1: All right. So do I want to do more fiction? No, not at all. Okay. And why do I? <laughs> I mean, I will. It's just not my wheelhouse. It's not what I'm, I'm good. I could do it. It's just, you know, not, not, my, not what I enjoy working on. But what I think is this, that truth is way crazier and stranger than fiction. We all know that. The thing is, is that when it comes to reality and life, you have no control over that. Back, again, back to the whole five-year plan we were talking about earlier, there's no way to, to predict what's going to happen. However, if I have a certain thing that I enjoy, like murder mysteries are like a, a big thing with people, a lot of people like to see how a story develops, how strategy plays in, how someone gets busted, and how the thing resolves itself. While it is imaginary, while it is made up, It is something self-contained. It is something that has a a limited sphere that you're going to get into. In other words, when you read a fiction story and you look at the back cover or read the summary, you know how it's going to start, you know how it's going to end, and all the fiction does is sort of fill in the blanks in the middle. So I think the reason that people like fiction so much is, yeah, it's made up, but the fact is you have a little more control over some of the unknowns, whereas in everyday life, you have no clue what's coming your way and uh, there, there's no way to prepare for it. If I'm reading a murder mystery, and I know that in the end, the guy's going to get busted and thrown in jail, then at least I'm, I'm very content knowing how it starts, how it ends, and just kind of fill in the details for me. So I think there's just that element of, it's a way to sort of control reality to a degree, and sort of, I don't want to say create your own little fantasy world, but we do a lot of that anyway. So I think it's just a matter of people enjoy the stories people enjoy the situations but it's a very controlled situation at that totally and i very much tend to
0: agree when it comes to to that obviously when a person's creating a fictitious character largely if you're good at it you'll incorporate certain people within your life or personality traits or people that you found utterly fascinating on a a suppose a personal psychological level and how you incorporate the quirks of that character so even fictitious characters although they are contained within a fantasy land bubble per se do have elements of truth to them and that goes back to what we were just talking about just then in that truth can be stranger than fiction
1: i'll tell you this the other thing though and this this is going to sound totally a little off the wall but i enjoy non-fiction works more so and the reason i enjoy them is because i like to learn things i like to know things And like I said, I'm not reading books in my free time, I may as well sort of multitask, I may as well read books and earn money at the same time, which is a win win situation as far as I'm concerned. But at that same time, um, everyday life sort of annoys me a lot. And the thing is, is that I'm not super crazy a lot of times about reality, why would I want to go and invent more of it? That's sort of the approach I take (laughs) So fiction is not huge for me now there' you know certain movies I, I enjoy or certain TV shows I'll check out you know I do enjoy those storylines but I definitely don't get into it on a huge scale I, I definitely like to more try to figure out the current reality that we're in and how it works and everything I need to know involved in that before I start creating more of it that I don't understand. <laughs> Totally, totally,
0: absolutely. Anyway, uh, I'll get to obviously my final remarks and then I'll leave leave the floor open to any kind of con- concluding remarks and wrap up this podcast. It's obviously been a pl- a privilege having you aboard. So for our, our listeners on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts and Radio Public, please take the time to check out the info in the description that I leave, which will enable you to check out um, Millian's work on Fiverr, it's very recommended because I personally love it. Go check it out. And, uh, you know, he's very authentic, very, his voice is very much uh, got an amazing personality behind it. I don't think there's anything robotic about it at all so i don't (laughs) don't know where those criticism criticism irony
1: to that though is i recently got a script where it was for like an app like a children's kind of thing and for a whole bunch of lines i had to speak in a robotic voice i laugh i I couldn't record i was laughing so hard i'm like finally someone asked me for it finally
0: finally and obviously for our youtube viewers (laughs) (laughs) it's very funny for our youtube viewers please take the time to like subscribe and share Every donation obviously is welcomed. It goes towards uh, upscaling camera equipment, uh, microphones. We're on the verge of getting a new microphones, Larry and myself, and the Power Passion podcast is going to move forward. Any concluding remarks before we wrap up?
1: Well, number one, listeners, definitely got to support this podcast. So all those links he's telling you about, the new microphone, got to keep building, right, the growth and progression. So make sure you throw something into the pot and help these guys out because they're, they're, they're good people. Um, as far as that, uh, I definitely thank you for having me on today. It's uh, outside of my podcast; I don't get to vent very often on on different topics. And you ask some great questions. I like that. But as far as uh, voiceover, if there are people that are interested in getting into it, because the question is asked of me a lot, how do I do this? First thing I'm going to tell you is it's a lot of work. Don't don't think you just sit down, start talking, and that's the end of the story. No, 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 no. You you do. You'd be surprised how tiring it is to talk for five, six hours straight. It, it'll, it'll grind you down. Now, you do that every day. It'll wear you out. But you've got to remember, you've got to do the customer stuff. You've got to have good, you know, just personal skills with people to accommodate them. You have to be willing to bend a little on certain things. You have to do software. You have to really, really know how to do software and editing and production and sounds and effects and all that stuff. It's, it goes way beyond just sitting and talking. It, it's a lot of work. And it's like anything in this life. There's very few things that come easy. So you, if you want it, you got to work at it like anything else. A lot of people worry that the space is too crowded. And it's just like anything else. Like I was just saying, there's going to be people that jump into the space who think that it's just sitting and talking and that's the end of the story. Now, they may do it for a month, two months, six months, whatever the case is. But there's something called the fade. And you'll see this in a lot of things. You'll see it with people and relationships and you'll see it with work you gradually start fading into something. You kind of stay there for a little bit and then over time it's like, "Eh, I don't know, and then slowly starts fading back out and then eventually you're doing something else. I mean, look how many YouTube channels, mine included, start up, kind of go strong for a little bit and then just kind of fade out suddenly as people start doing other things. Well, voiceovers like that. Yes, there's tons of people in it, but there's gonna be people that fade out of it over time. So if it's a big deal to you and you wanna really do this, you can do really whatever you want, You just got to be able to stay the course and be willing to outwork anybody that comes along. This is something that my voiceover brethren and sister and don't really like for me to say, but I am not, I don't have vices, meaning, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't use drugs. And one of the big vices that I used to have is I used to be real wound up with money and finances. I've gotten past that. So money is not a vice for me. So if someone comes along and they says, look, I need this project. Your price is too expensive. Can you cut me a discount? Yes, I can. Or someone will say, I went to this voiceover artist. Here's what they charge. Can you do better? Yes, I can. I will undercut anyone to get the job if, if I like the project and if I like the person. I will help you out if you truly need it. And so you have to be willing to do that kind of stuff. and You have to get past the vices because there's projects, like I was saying earlier, that I won't take. And people say, well, it's money that you're losing. It's a lot of money. I'm like, sorry, money's not a vice for me. It's just, sorry, I don't care. Yeah. I, well, I'm not coming back to you. <laughs> See you later. Someone else will take your place. And that's just sort of how I feel about it is that, you know, I'll under, well, voiceover artists will say, well, we have to keep up an industry standard. We have to keep a certain rate. I don't have to do anything, Jack. <laughs> this is my job. This is what I do. If I have the time and the ambition and uh, you need some help, I'll help you out. And uh, like I said, i'm I'm very much a fiercely independent kind of guy, and uh, I guess I'm not really much of a team player. Sorry about that if any other voiceover artists are out there. But that's what you gotta decide. You have to decide if you are willing to do these things. Yeah, yes, I'll work eight, nine, ten hours a day, and I'm right now in a, a vocal booth. It's a three by five box, three feet by five feet box. It's like a it's it's a glorified coffin with foam in it, but I have my microphone and my monitor, and this is where I spend most of my day. I'm in my little cocoon all day long. And are you willing to do that? And this is what it comes down to. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to spend 20 minutes every morning doing vocal exercises? Is, are you willing to listen to yourself and when people call you robotic to work on it, on the diction and all that stuff to not be robotic? You know, Are you willing to keep investing in that part of yourself? A lot of people aren't. And if they're not, they're eventually going to fade right back out. And that leaves an opening for you. So it, it's like anything else in life. If you're willing to work, if you're willing to do what you got to do to get the job done, then you could be part of this. And it's just don't skimp on microphones, don't skimp on production and always be learning about how to do it, always be improving and always progressing forward. And that's, that's the best I could tell you. And how, do, how do I get started in voiceover? Find someone that wrote a book on Amazon, send them an email and say, hey, let me do a sample for you. Or can I read the back cover for you for a promotional? It's a free thing and you do that little two-minute recording, if somebody likes it, they'll be like, well, what, what would you charge me to do my full book? Well, there you go. Now you got an opening. You got to run with it. So you got to make your own openings, and you you really can't wait for people to find you. It's like I said, when the space is this crowded, you have to sort of break out of it. I'm not a super fan of, uh, what's his name, Gary Vaynerchuk, but everybody likes to quote him today. So I'll throw a Gary V thing at you. Not really my my lane that I drive in, but one time he was talking about modern economy. He says, if you want something, you have to just go and grab it. There's no two ways about it. You go grab it. It doesn't come to you. And, and in its most succinct form, that's it. If you want to be part of this, if you want to do this stuff, A, you got to be willing, B, you got to put in the work, and C, you got to go grab it. If you could do those things and always be improving, you'll make it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to foul up. It's going to, You're going to get to the point where you're sick of people. You're sick of working. You don't want to do this anymore. That's called life. And then, you know, once once you've had a nap and something to eat and you're not hangry anymore and then you get back to what you're doing, you're like, okay, let's get back to work now and you know, take lots of vacations. Once a quarter, try to take a vacation. You'll be fine. That's tips from Producer Million. Brilliant, brilliant. Sorry, I, just, I just totally downloaded on you, but there you go. That, that's, that's fine, that's fine. I could honestly
0: probably be talking to you for another two hours if I wanted to. But anyway, obviously I'll just, I'll just wrap up in saying that it's very important with those concluding remarks to touch on the fact that No one should let money be a vice because at the end of the day, there's probably, and I could probably attest to this because a lot of people say this, especially when they're very wealthy, no amount of money or material wealth will really fill a void that any amount of uh, self-growth, self-awareness, and self-discovery can do on its own. So, so, I mean, it will help. Obviously, money helps, but at the end of the day, you can't be a slave to it.
1: Well, you know, in that same regard, something my mom always tells me is that everything runs a course and what that means is is that like here in here in the US if you look at a, something like a walmart they're like the big player right now but back in the old days when i was a kid it was called kmart you know that was the whole biggest thing couldn't uh, their blue light specials they were known for and over time they ran their course they were the big player on the block and then they eventually faded back out and now today they're bankrupt and gone you see artists on the radio that it seems like they're never going to get knocked from number one. We give it a couple of months, they start fading right back out. And then a couple of years later, are like, hey, whatever happened to that band? That's that fade I'm talking about. So everything runs a course. And so in, in that whole kind of just space of that, if you could just be mindful of where that happens and just sort of tie that back into what you're doing, you'll you, be able to it's, – it's like surfing. You just kind of wait for the waves. You ride it. You get off for a little bit, and then you find the next one. You just you, Eventually, the big one comes, and you, nah, you get what you want. You either wipe out and get really hurt, or you have a great story to tell, one of the two. So that's the best way I could put it.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll leave you to it. Obviously, you're a very busy man. So thank you so much for the conversation. And I, I really do appreciate it, and I respect your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. No worries.